0: Greetings, faithful watchers of the Pastor Mike Drop live podcast. We're live. It's noon on Wednesday and the whole gang's back together. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We are going to look at some really deep and meaningful and relevant and powerful things for you Uh, from two of the three letters in the uh, epistles of John to Hey Jude to the back half of Ezekiel and dry bones and rivers of life and uh, fallen angels and battle royales god versus gog i mean this is star wars before it was star wars so grab a bible pull up a chair and let's dive into the god's word tuning in uh, to today's episode. Thanks for reading through the Bible. Thanks for being hungry for God's Word. Uh, we are really excited to be translators. We were kind of talking about that before. We want to do our best to help take some stuff in Scripture in our readings this last week, both Old and New Testament, that are not the easiest mm-hmm. to read through. In fact, my wife, who's been doing this uh, every day uh, throughout this year and, and catching up, and, and before every podcast on Wednesday, she makes sure she's, like, covered everything for the week, she came in this morning, she said, And I don't know about Ezekiel. (laughs) This is not easy stuff. But we're here to try to help. And that's why one of the big reasons why we have this podcast. Our goal as we read through the whole Holy Bible together as a community is that we wouldn't just read it, but we'd live it. And uh, live it, and and that's really important. So let's let's learn. Let's become more fluent in God's word. And Emily, yes, we got the gang back together. These yes. these us three, us three actually have done things together recently.
1: Yes, you posted a photo online.
0: Yeah, on my Instagram story. I guess that is there, or Facebook yes. story, or whatever. Both yes. are
1: we have with us Pastor Pat Quade from Hope Waukee. Hi, yeah. Pat. Hey. Hello. And Pastor Scott Raines from Hope Ankeny.
0: Great to be here. So you
1: guys recently were together.
0: Yeah, we, uh, I volunteer as the announcer at Waukee Northwest football games and got to have spotters. I mean, you got to have eyes in the sky. And so it was a playoff game, first round between Waukee Northwest uh, and Ankeny Centennial. And people in the know know that it's just Northwest and Centennial. Everybody else okay. calls them Waukee Northwest uh-huh. and Ankeny Centennial, but... For us, you know, in the booth it's it's Northwestern Centennial. And Pat is our campus pastor. <laughs> In a uh, location that is right in the middle of the Northwest School District, and Scott is up in Ankeny, where Centennial is, and so... Also where the Ankeny Hawks are, who are playing in
2: the Dome Friday night for the championship game, right? Coached by a Hope Ankeny, longtime Hope
0: Ankeny guy, Jeff nice. Bauer. Well, now I know who to cheer, cheer for. Although, just, we have a lot of Southeast Polk people in the Hope family, do. too, um, including players and coaches and teachers, so... I'm neutral. I guess
2: I got to stay <laughs> neutral. Um, I, last week, it was Centennial against Ankeny at the was.
0: Dome. That had I didn't crazy. know where to sit. Mm. So yeah. I, I just wandered around and said hi to everyone. I feel very strongly yeah. both yeah. ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That is great. But but it was fun up in the booth. We had probably a little more fun than we're supposed to. And um, it, was, it was an exciting uh, game. But more exciting for us is truly is getting into this stuff. So There
1: is a lot there today.
0: There's a lot there. Emily, how are you doing? You doing okay?
1: I'm ready to hear some <laughs> answers.
0: <laughs> Me too. Uh, and we're better together. So without further ado, we've taken all your questions, uh, compiled them, and Ted Lasso, help us out.
2: Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, I should have saw that coming.
1: Okay. First one. How can we faithfully interpret the famous Valley of Dry Bones vision in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14?
2: A good qualifier in the question is faithful interpretation, because we we can do all kinds of interpretation Uh that's not necessarily faithful. A starting place for faithful interpretation of Old Testament uh, prophetic messages is it always is going to lead to a place of ultimate hope, Mm. Even, even when the message is bad news immediately, Um, there's always the hope of a remnant. There's the hope of restoration. So we we always lead uh, or end with this idea of a hope-filled future. Mm -hmm. In chapter 37, uh, the people are in exile, and uh, this vision that God gives to Ezekiel of a valley of dry bones and can they live again, and and then this really cool description of how they actually do come back to life. Mm -hmm. And part of what you see in that is, goes back to the creation story where God breathes life into a, a pile of dirt and it becomes a living human being. And now God's doing that with a whole bunch of uh, skeletons, bones, dry bones that uh, get flesh and sinews, which is a fun word to say. We don't say that enough in life. But, <laughs> Not enough sinews yeah, yeah, in, our, but,
0: in our daily uh, vernacular. Yeah.
2: but But in the context, in chapter 36, God's talking about uh, the old covenant that's written in tablets of stone, but I'm going to give you a new covenant yep. and it's going to be on your heart and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. So it seems like this is a, a, a spiritual recreation uh, as much as it is a physical recreation. So there's a, a message in the moment to the people in exile. Mm-hmm. But as you read through it, at least for me, uh, knowing anything about history of the 20th century, it seems like there might be a message for sometime much in Ezekiel's future as well. You see that with the nation of Israel.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Prophecy is going to be for the people it's for in that context, in that time. And you already pointed out its connection to creation. You know, the the Hebrew word ruach, the breath of God, and the wind is another Mm -hmm. word or translation of that ruach that's all throughout the beginning of creation. So the wind moves and it takes... The dust of the ground, and it transforms it into life, into us, into human beings. It's a beautiful miracle, and it's it's the creation of of life. Now it's being recreated at a time when God's people are going to start to feel like there's no hope anymore. There is no life. You started out, Scott, by saying prophecy ultimately has to point us to hope. Even the warnings ultimately going to turn us toward hope because they move us away from a life that's going to lead to death. Instead, turning us back to a life that leads to life, a new life. And that's, you know, the imagery of this famous chapter, the the dry bones coming to life, Mm -hmm. it just jumps off the page. And I can't help but wonder, what's it like to hear that the first time? You know, we, we, we grow up, those of us who've grown up in church... Uh, and, you know, we know the dry bones story. We, mm-hmm. we hear Sunday school songs about it. You know, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. We, it, it's kind of just drilled in. But do we really understand what's going on and the surprise of it and the, 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 the joy it had to produce for people who are living in exile, whose temple has been destroyed. They're under the occupation of the Babylonians who are ruthless and they're living in a land they don't want to live in. So where's our hope? Where's our life? Hold on dead bones, dry bones come to life again. It on, Only God can do that. So where's our faith? Is it in ourselves or is it, is, it, is it in our God? And so that's where the prophecy now starts to really transcend. And it isn't just for the, the people of God who are living in exile in the 500s B.C., now it's for people living in 2023 or four or five, or whenever you're watching this podcast or beyond, and you're looking at your life or you're looking at the condition of the world and saying, where's our hope? Do mm-hmm. we Well, our hope isn't in us. Our hope is in the God who can take dry bones and bring them to life.
3: Yeah, and we have reminders in 37 of the fact that God is, God is always faithful in helping people... Um, come back into relationship, right relationship with Him, as well as, um, you know, God helping us to see that He loves us and that we're designed yeah. to love others. And so 37 is this kind of, kind of growth for, for Israel, the people of Israel, but also for future people who are of the Word uh, to say, okay, God is continually remaking and rebuilding our hearts, mm-hmm. uh, our hearts for others, hearts
0: for Him, and by that, uh, there's great hope for the future. It's well said. There's there's also, it's kind of important, I think, the deeper we get into Scripture and trying to understand the Old Testament, to, to pay attention to God's people and their relationship, so between God and Israel. But it's also important to pay attention to the temple. What's the condition of the temple? Because the temple, tabernacle before the temple, represents the presence of God amongst them, and there is no temple at this point. So part of their hopelessness is... Not only do we feel like there's no hope, but God doesn't have a home here with us anymore. There, there's, God doesn't reside with us anymore. And Ezekiel's kind of pointing to some different ways to understand that, some very hopeful ways to understand that. And sure enough, these prophecies will be fulfilled. The temple will be rebuilt, uh, it, you know, leading up to the time of Jesus. And there will be, uh, it, it won't, we're still living in a fallen world. They still won't, this isn't going to be heaven yet. But things will get better. Things, th- dead things will come to life. And when I say we shouldn't put our hope in us, we should put it in God, the cool thing about that is we are not passive in that. Because it's not like, oh, we just sit back and wait for God to fix everything. Because yeah. the, way, the way God fixes things is then through the faithful remnant, if you will, of those who are keeping the faith in the midst of this. And that's a consistent theme throughout Scripture. When everybody else was falling away from God, there's Noah. When everybody else was falling away from God, there's the prophets. When everybody else was falling away from God, God sends somebody like Moses. And, and dry bones come to life again. So, yes, it's historical. It happened. This, the, the, the temple was rebuilt. The exile was, was uh, ended, and the people got to come home. But it's more than that, and it's for us, too, that there's always hope because there's always God.
3: Yeah, and some of that confusion, of course, is that the Babylonians are going to take out some of the nations right. around Israel, and Israel is probably looking to those nations for their rescue as well. So, it's a, it's a context that is is so deep and so uh, um, kind of adds to the hopelessness is that Israel is in exile, and they're watching other nation states... Um, be defeated by this large, capable
0: army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because a lot of Ezekiel's prophecy is directed at other nations too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, there's a balance here. And mm-hmm. that also produces some hope for God's people.
1: That's good. Who or what is Gog of the land of Magog? Here we go. How might God's <laughs> wrath against Gog provide prophetic hope for people living in exile?
3: I'm so glad you asked. Oh, are you? Yeah. (laughs) I studied so much of this uh, in seminary. But to help us with this, because I feel like this is kind of, we're wrapping up the whole Holy Bible. And um, when we talk about Gog, what rhymes with Gog in this special time of the year? Eggnog.
0: Yeah. Oh, Oh, wow. (laughs) So Pat comes bearing gifts. You really did. (laughs) Eggnog.
3: I did not see this
0: one coming. Oh my goodness! Thank, cups and you. Everything. Thank you. Eat, drink, and be merry. So right. here's what Thank I was you. thinking: We're
3: reading from now. First and Second, or Second and Third you. John, and uh, also Jude. And at the highlight of all of this is that we're supposed to love, uh, we're supposed to speak in truth, and we go to Christ for life. So I think we should toast and celebrate the fact that. Gog has yes. egg on his face, and we can <laughs> celebrate <laughs> with cheers to a God that's victorious okay. over him through Christ crucified.
1: So, good thing we picked you to lead out on this question.
3: So, I think <laughs> we should. Ready. <laughs> here's Thank some. You. So, and in truth, I only drink eggnog once a year. So, this is it. I chose to do it with my friends. Thank you, Pat.
0: This is awesome. All right. So,
3: I, egg Merry on Christmas. Gog. And yep, cheers, cheers to God.
0: It's a first on the podcast yeah. that, that we're, we're having eggnog, eggnog, but it's also, I think, a first in the history of interpreting this text. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, b- brilliant. Yes. Well done, Pastor Pat. Uh, yeah. there, there, uh, and, and maybe let's go a little further. It's memorable. Too. Well, yeah,
3: yeah we, can, we can dive in a little bit deeper. Um, there's a lot of ancient and a lot of things that are connected to Gog of Magog. Yeah. And a lot of this goes back to just the personification of evil. And uh, we see... Uh, In different stories uh, that we'll get to later, and also in Revelations, that this is a term for the devil, Satan. Um, And so Ezekiel is seeing this vision. And we have a really strong sense that Ezekiel is having to speak, um, that the Lord is really calling out Gog, and that Gog is going to be placed in a place where he is not going to be eventually able to overcome the power, uh, the love, the mercy, the kindness uh, over God's people. And so we see a lot of this, and a lot of this comes from even back in Genesis 10, where the people were building this tower after the flood had taken place, and people are building this so that, one, they wouldn't be wiped out by God again uh, if there was ever a flood. But then we see the destruction of Babel and the fact that the voices of, uh, I think, 70 languages, if you read some of the commentaries, took place over this time. So God, God's people get spread out all over the land. Mm-hmm. and And so you have these 70 countries that are... Um, speaking in different languages, and, and you see a lot of this come from that period of time where you see the brokenness of man. Um, and and so, this just becomes a story of the fact that Ezekiel is seeing this great battle that's going to take place uh, between God, and God's going to over, overwhelm Gog and evilness. Um, and there's some, sp- sp- you know, just crazy things that are connected to God's control of creation, but also of circumstances uh, mm-hmm. throughout this. So it kind of interweaves in this powerful, but very, you know, kind of like a dream, very vivid um, mm-hmm. uh, of, of how the fall of, of evil and Satan is going to take place.
2: One of the things I highlighted in chapter 38 is the last verse, verse 23, where God says, in this way, I will show my greatness and holiness. I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And and that phrase actually gets repeated Mm -hmm. several times in this section of Ezekiel's prophecy. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God says something similar uh, in Exodus. When the plagues come, it's so that people will know that I am the Lord. And this interesting tension that we see where, where Mike's talking about God's the one that's gonna do it. I mean you highlight how many times God says, I will save, I will uh, mm-hmm. cleanse, I will be there. Like God is the actor and God chooses to act through us. And and there's a fine line between when we start to take credit for what God is doing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and, and part of what I see when I read through this is God can do it. God, God can bring this valley of bones to life. God can create peace. God can wipe out an enemy. God can do it all by God's
0: self. Yeah. The the Gog and Magog uh, metaphor or actual event, that's that's where a lot of people get into debates over this. And so I, I want to spend just a moment talking about mm-hmm. that for people tuning in and saying, well, what what do we think about Gog and Magog? Is it Is it about something that happened once upon a time, or are they real? Are they people? Are they places? There's a lot of scholarly debate on these things, and there's no consensus. And so let's just say that right up front. But here's the thing about different views on this, whether they're people, whether Gog is a person and Magog's where he's from, which is the way it's laid out in Ezekiel. But then if you go to Revelation 20, it sounds like it's two different people. And, And then you start to say, well, who are they? And are they literal people or are they symbolic for something else? And is it bigger than that? Taken into the history and the way Ezekiel's prophesying elsewhere, where he's using a lot of imagery, you know, he's taking a, a, a clay brick and then a, an iron kettle and they represent things. And then he's roping himself onto his left side. We talked about that last week for 390 days. And then the right side mm-hmm. for 40 days, you start to realize probably if we're going to be consistent in Ezekiel, This is going to be metaphorical, or this is going to be symbolic. But that doesn't mean it isn't to be taken seriously. That's where I I just want to gently push back against those who say, well, why aren't you taking the Bible literally? And I think more importantly, we want to take it seriously. We want to take it for what it actually is intended to be. And when you look at the context of the rest of the book of Ezekiel, you're seeing metaphorical stuff. You're seeing symbolic stuff on a lot of these prophecies. And so... But either way, it's going to end up the same. God's going to win. Evil's going to lose. Uh, that's good news for people who keep the faith. It's really bad news for people who drift away from God. It's really bad news for people who let go of their of, of their focus on, well, well, let's find God's will for our day-to-day lives and our national lives, our community lives. I think all that's really, really important. But it, it gets... It gets way down the line when people say, okay, well, this isn't Revelation, and this isn't Ezekiel, and we need to put these pe- puzzle pieces together. And I'll grant you, there's, some, there's something going on here. There's something bigger going on here. But our goal is not to try to figure out the puzzle. Our goal is to be faithful to the theme. to what. Let's not lose the main thing for the details. Let's keep our eye on the main thing, which is you, God is saying to his people then and now through Ezekiel, you keep the faith in me, because if you hold on to that, you're going to win. Um, not just you, but good is going to win. I need you, as, as you were saying again there, Scott, I need you to be faithful to me so I can, I can live this out. Because some people will be like, well, Gog and Magog, it's China and Russia, or it's mm. Iran and North Korea, or it's whatever, and, and here's Israel, and here's all the things going on there today. And, and so they want to just piece this all together, and while that's sensational and it will, it will stir things up... I think we have to take a deep breath and say, fine, let's have these conversations. I'm all for it. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying slow your roll a little bit, pump the brakes just a little bit, and don't lose the main thing. The the main thing is not trying to figure out who Mog is and who, or who Gog is and who Magog is. The main thing here is let's pay attention to who wins. Let's pay attention to whose side we're on. Let's pay attention to faithfulness.
2: I, I, all I was going to say is... Whether it's literal or
0: uh, a metaphor, it's real. The ba- yes, thank the, you. The battle is real. We're not saying it isn't real. Yep. Or, or people who say it's a metaphor yeah. aren't saying it isn't real. Right.
1: I also tell myself it's in the Bible for a reason.
3: Yeah. So regardless, yeah. It, well, something and, and, for me. Yeah, in verse 3, the sovereign Lord says, Gog, I am your enemy. Yep. Like, there is good and bad here, yep. and good and evil, and uh, and God is calling out, we do not agree on this to
0: No, and we'll get into Revelation starting next week, because that's where our readings are going to take us in the New Testament. It is worth noting that Gog and Magog show up again at the very end. Mm -hmm. And I mean the very end. We're not talking about the end of the Babylonian exile anymore. We're, We're talking about the very end of the Bible, the very end of the book of Revelation. And so there is a future forward part of this. Now, that could be God revealing to John, the writer of the, the book of Revelation, hey, this kind of reminds you probably of what happened back in the days of Ezekiel and the prophecies there. So you pull those names out, although Revelation uses them again a little differently, like they're people, where Ezekiel uses it as one is a person, one is a place. So it's not as clean as people want it to be. which is maybe kind of a pushback a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, there are two big dangers when it comes to apocalyptic literature, and we will dive into this deep over the next four or five weeks. One is to try to piece everything together in a way the Bible says you'll never be able to do and then get distracted from the main point. But the other is equally dangerous to say, ah, it's just all a bunch of silly, Mm -hmm. you know, ridiculous things that have no relevance for us today. Oh, it absolutely has relevance for us today. And Jesus is coming back for real, not not metaphorically. He for real is coming back. And whatever the things are that happen in between now and then uh, are really kind of secondary, I'll say, to the primary news that, that the dry bones are going to come back to life again. The river is going to flow again. Good's going to win out over evil. Uh, so let's make sure we're we're... We're in the right corner. <laughs> We're keeping the faith in, in the God who made us and loves us. Yeah, yeah. and as we get through the
3: battle of Gog, uh, we see this again. If you're in exile, if you're feeling separated from God, you you could read all this as devastation, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you are you're going to see, you know, not only your life but others taken away. Mm-hmm. And in verse twenty eight and verse, verse thirty nine. There's this ultimate promise of God's recommitment to the people that will follow and to have this heart change in receiving him and worshiping him alone, uh, verse 28, then my people will know that I am the Lord, their God, because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will never again turn my face from them for I will pour out my spirit upon the people. Mm -hmm. And I just think there's this, there's this balance with Ezekiel's dreams and visions. Yes. Turn away from Mm -hmm. these evil things. Uh, Turn and devote yourself to um, this God who loves you, who gave you his, his ruach, his life, um, and guess what? I'm going to go before you in all things, and I will protect you, and you will be with my people, and I will be with you. You know, right. I think this is continued repeti- repet- repetition mm-hmm. of promise is is found in Ezekiel, which nice. is good news for us. Yep, there's so let, comfort there. let's wrap
0: this one up for now with you know some eggnog and, and thank you, Pat, you for for God beating Magog. Stay on the side of God. Do not become an Antichrist, you know, and, and which Ezekiel refers to here. Mm-hmm. Do not go over – an Antichrist, as we defined last week, isn't just some freaky yeah. beast-like figure. Literally, in First and 2 John, and also throughout um, all of the apocalyptic literature of Scripture, Antichrist, which doesn't show up as much as people think it does in the Bible, the beast does, and the dragon does, and a whole bunch of other things do, and we'll get to that over the next few weeks – But the Antichrist or Antichrists are those who stand against Christ and those who lose the faith. And that's going to lead us right into our next questions.
1: Yep. Help Bible readers understand Ezekiel's vision of a life-giving river that flows from a new temple. What does this vision have to do with Israel or us?
0: So the ways of evil and the leaders of evil and the false teachers and the false prophets and the Antichrist lead to death they they take the God is life, God is love, and so when we 're connected to that life things come to life. Well, there's a dead sea and there's dead things all around it. And so this beautiful prophecy now in Ezekiel 47 is out of the temple, which is a pretty bold thing to say since there is no temple at this point, but it's coming. So it's a prophecy of a temple that's going to come out of that temple will flow rivers of living water and that living water will flow. And now the prophecy that Ezekiel's getting is, oh, wow, now the water is up to my ankles, verse three, and now it's up to my knees and now it's up to my waist. And then it's too deep to walk across, verse 5. And now it's deep enough to swim in. So he's literally being baptized. The other word for baptism or baptized in the original text is of the New Testament Greek is um, immersion. He's being immersed. He's, he's being baptized in the water of life. It's beautiful, but it's, there's more going on here. And the details are so rich. This is what I mean by there's something going on here. That I'm, Scott, you put it so well. It's real. Whether it's metaphorical or symbolic on one hand, or it's to be like taken and trying to figure out who this is or what this is, doesn't matter. What matters is it's real. This stuff's going to happen. The water's going to flow. It's going to flow out of there, and it's going to take dead things from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea's going to come to life. I don't know if you guys have been there before, but I've been to the Dead Sea. There is no life around the Dead Sea. It's as dead as dead gets. Dead is a doornail, right? a rusty one at that. And this thing, this is going to change everything. Like the dry bones, it's going to come to life. And there's so much more there, but uh, we probably don't have time to get into all of it. No, no, just a little. Okay, just a little. <laughs> in John 21, after Jesus rises from the dead, talk about life, river of life coming out. He, he shows up, and this is after John 7, where he stands up in the midst of a crowd who sang on the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is... This prophecy from Ezekiel 47 is read and people all gather together and they say, maybe this is the year that we'll see the water flow out of the temple because the temple's been rebuilt now. Jesus is there. He shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's all in John 7. And he stands up on the last day when it's pretty clear it's not going to happen. And he says, ho, which is in in English means ho. And he says, (laughs) attention getter, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Mm. For I am the water of life is what he's saying. And then it says, and Jesus knew this because he was in the spirit and the spirit told him this is true, revealed this. So Jesus is saying, you're looking for this water of life. It's not going to, it's going to, it's, it it was a symbol, a prophetic symbol and prophecy. And I'm the fulfillment is what Jesus is saying. It isn't just when I come back a second time, it's I'm here the first time. Follow me to the cross. Follow me through to the empty tomb, and I will take the dead sea of your life, of your soul, of your spirit, of your physical body and I will bring it to life again. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will pour him the waters of life. And so then after Jesus is risen from the dead, he's out fishing. Peter and the other disciples see him. They get all excited. I'm sorry, the disciples are out fishing. They see Jesus on the shore. Jesus says, throw your net out on the other side. They do. There's 153 fish in that net. 153 was the number for the known species of fish at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's all fish. Everything now is in the net. Mm-hmm. And then you go back. To, what does that have to do with Ezekiel 47? Everything. Because the prophecy then goes to, here's this river coming from the temple into the Dead Sea. And it's in and Gedi and En Agliam, verse 10 of Ezekiel 47. And if you take the numerical, uh, in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, every word has a numerical value to it. It was a big deal back then. If you take those two, it ends up, being 10 and 17, which when you do just a little bit of simple math and you put it into a symmetrical triangle of geometry, you just have to look this stuff up. Trust me, it's there. It's 153. Because because one of these names means one and the other means the other. It adds up to or comes out to the product of the mathematical formulas 153. That can't be Crazy. by accident. It cannot be by accident. It's just there. so it's pointing to the resurrected Jesus. It isn't just pointing to, hey, your temple's going to get rebuilt. It's pointing to the one who came to say, tear this temple down, and in three days, I'll I'll rebuild it. So I'm sorry. I went a little uh, long on that, well, but that's that's I'd like big to add, one.
1: as an aside, I think you want your pastor to really love like the detail <laughs> in Scripture, and I think it's True. pretty clear. You love it.
0: Even if, uh, it, since I wasn't able to go as, as far as I wanted on that, I just want to say this to all our listeners. Trust me when I tell you, and you can dive into this, Google this, look up more about it. The Bible's richer than you think it mm-hmm. is. There's more, especially when you get into the prophetic stuff. It is beautiful and it is lovely. And it, it is, you don't have to get weird about it. It's just clearly there. And I feel like our, our, our listeners need to just have a bookmark here
3: on Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 21 that's coming later. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give a lot of details away, but right. John is going to reveal... Uh, that there is not a, just to emphasize John seven. There's not going to be a need for a temple. It's yep. the throne is going to be having the the Son mm-hmm. of God sitting at it, and and I love Ezekiel leading up to this point because we've seen the glory of God on the throne uh, throughout the book of Ezekiel, and so this is going to become more complete and more uh, vivid for us as we continue.
1: Yeah. Um. Switching gears then, why does John repeat the words truth and love in the opening six verses of Second John? And what does that have to do with Antichrist?
0: Well, as we talked about last week, the Johannine epistles, first John we looked at last week, mm-hmm. second and third John we're reading this week, connect to the Gospel of John, and whether it's the same author or not, whether it's two different Johns. It's from the same community, the community of John or the community of the beloved disciple. That's where it comes out of. And so the themes in the gospel of John start to get repeated. And that's why it's really interesting that as we look at this, so truth shows up five times in just the first few verses. Love shows up three, four, if you count verse one, uh, when John says, I I love the chosen lady, which is in her children, which is representative of these people who are, are being faithful. So truth and love are all over the first few verses. Again, no accidents. This is God's word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, truth and love being thrown out this much, and then contrasting that. And we talked about Antichrist a little bit earlier. Here it is in third, in Second John, chapter one, verse seven. Like it was in First John, is the opposite of love and truth. It's on. It's anti love. It's anti truth. Uh, and so, what the opening of Second John is saying is. Keep the faith. There isn't any truth or love that comes from the deceivers of the false teachers of the antichrist that are around you. So I want you to hold on to that truth in the midst of all the different, um, all the different distractions there are. And this is true for us today too, uh, for the for the modern day church. There's so many distractions.
2: So many distractions, and in the church, sure, but in our culture, mm. we are used to being deceived or the truth being manipulated. And uh, are people just marketing and trying to sell stuff to me, or can I really believe the claims that they Mm -hmm. are making? And um, and so it's really important uh, when people come looking for faith, what's the truth about who God is? Mm -hmm. Uh, John wants to make sure the church in his day, these house churches, and through you know the inspired word of God in our day, are people getting the truth about who God is? And uh, Jesus is the truth personified. Mm. I, I am the truth, and, and I can set you free and, and go go my way. And I, and again, it all leads to life. That that's the other theme I see through all of these passages: is there is a life that God has for us, and you're not going to find that life through deception and manipulation, but through the truth
0: of Jesus, through yeah. truth and love, the one who is full of grace and truth, which is John chapter one. Uh, and for time's sake, we need to keep moving.
1: Yeah, what can we learn about supporting faithful church leaders and what unfaithful church leadership looks like from Third John chapter one verses three through eleven?
3: Yeah, so this will just be really quick. So John, uh, John the Elder is just both in Second and Third John continues to amplify mm. uh, the life, the love, the truth, and and then he has just a real demonstration of. Um, something that breaks his heart as somebody who is watching house churches and and the story of truth being shared. And back in and G- back in these early church movements, the church had to support itself, and so believers would support traveling missionaries that would share and give witness to what God is doing uh, with the church all around the world. And we've come across that for John the Elder, he had heard about uh, a certain leader um, that is pointed out, and and so. He is not saying kind things uh, about those that are coming. Uh, He is jealous or maybe arrogant about the fact that people are, instead of uh, supporting his ministry, uh, he's telling them not to give to others that are coming and visiting. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't represent the certain things that Jesus uh, and his disciples and the early apostles had had set forth. Um he, he's not showing kindness, he's not showing respect, he's not showing hospitality. Um and so uh, so some of those things are just not in parallel or lockstep with with how this uh, this movement was taking place and how Christians were called to support and 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 lead um one another. And so John is just ca- Again, throwing a flag on the field saying, this this guy, this leader is out of bounds. He's not mm-hmm. showing things that are
0: Christ-like.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, the the fact that he loves to be first and is power hungry, craving the spotlight, these are red flags, um, yeah. you know, amongst church leaders that, that some somebody has to be in places where they're teaching or a whole group of people do or in spotlights or getting attention or up front or leading the music or whatever it might be. There's people who are in those public roles. You better check their hearts along the way and make sure that when they're singing about Jesus, they really believe in the Jesus they're singing about. And, and when they're teaching about it, that their heart's in the right place. And it isn't to try to get attention for themselves. It is to try to put attention in a spotlight on Christ. And I think it's one of the things that really we, we see. And, you know, John is pointing out, so be careful of leaders like this. And we see this in the, in the church all the time. And it's a great deterrent, I think, for any of us because we're not perfect in there, but by the grace of God, go we. But every church is just a scandal away from falling apart. And those scandals usually are rooted in somebody who forgot the spotlight's really supposed to be on Jesus. And if, and if we find the light on ourselves, it better be our motivation. It better be our goal that we're here to point people to Christ, because he's the only one who has the power to save us. It's just consistent with Ezekiel. It's, it's you know, we can go the Antichrist way and just say, oh, well, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about Jesus. We, don't want, we want to de-emphasize him. He's not really our Savior. Or we can acknowledge he's really our only hope. God, Only God can do these things through us, through the church. Um, so spotlight seekers, John is saying, run away from them. Um, run toward the people who want to reflect that light to the one who can save.
1: Yeah. Who is Jude, and what do you want our podcast listeners to know about the non-biblical ancient writings Jude alludes to in his letter?
2: Now, a lot of biblical scholars are convinced he was one of the siblings of mm-hmm. Jesus, it's and cool. he becomes a leader. Uh, think about what it would take to convince you that your brother was the Messiah. The... <laughs> but and, and, and it takes Jude until after the resurrection for that mm. to happen, it seems. so, But he becomes a leader in the early church, and he writes this letter to house churches to... Um, kind of remind them what what we're supposed to be doing, but he he references a lot of um, extra biblical material uh, as he's making his point. And I I grew up uh, in North Central Iowa, and in the church world I was a part of, they weren't quite sure what to do with the Catholics. I I love the Catholics. We the church that I was at before I came to Hope was in the Quad Cities. All of our good friends were Jesus loving Catholics. It, it was amazing. Uh, But the first time I went to a Catholic mass was in high school, and the Bible reading was from a book called Maccabees. And I knew my books of the Bible, and Maccabees isn't in there. (laughs) And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I came home and I called my uncle, who was a pastor, and he kind of laughed and said, if you go to seminary, you'll learn this sort of stuff. But uh, there are books of the Apocrypha that are uh, often included, and uh, lots of followers of Jesus read them devotionally. Um, and so these are some of the books that Jude is referencing, similar to the way we we use quotes from uh, people who are writing books and thinking about, or we use sure. clips from movies so that we're you're building bridges to help people understand um, a, a fuller picture of what God is up to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ironically, if we quote Martin Luther or N.T. Wright or Gerhard Ferdi or or Gracia Grindall or, or some great scholar, mm-hmm. it, it, we're not worshiping those people. We're not equating what they write with what Scripture says. And that's kind of like the apocrypha. That that's where it's settled. It's not. It, it's sacred writings. It's true. It, there's there's good stuff. And so John's referring, or Jude is referring to that uh, as he as he sings a song. Hey Jude. It's like we should cue a Beatles <laughs> tune in the background, right? So in this short little one chapter deep dive, I mean Jude, Jude is brother Jesus. He must have been paying attention. Um, and along the way, boy, he goes deep quick into this, and he assumes that his readers know not just the old testament but they know the jewish apocrypha which would include a book like first enoch which he's quoting here and would include a book called the testimony uh, or the testament of moses which is quoted here as well we're for those things we're for those books they are truth they're just not scripture so let's keep our balance on that
1: yeah does God's marvelous grace allow us to live immoral lives, and why is Jude so concerned about ungodly people in the church who make that claim?
0: Uh, does God's marvelous grace allow us to live immoral lives? So Jude actually quotes that because that's he says that's what the false teachers are teaching. Because we have God's grace and it's so amazing, mm-hmm. that's like a free ticket to go ahead and do whatever we want. We we can hurt people. We can we can live wild lives. We can pursue our own pleasures we can um you know be greedy we can be gossipers we can talk behind people's backs we can we can do whatever we want because of grace oh, god's still going to love us so where's the where's the incentive to to live a moral life or or to be kind to people why not just try to crush people and get everything we can out of life and then we'll get to heaven because we have god's grace jude is saying you got to be nuts to to approach it that way. what what are you thinking the the problem with sin is it puts us in prison and it hurts people and it hurts us. And so if you will, you're in a prison, you're stuck. And grace is the get out of jail free card. And if we get out of jail free, why would we go back and do those things again that led us to be imprisoned in the first place and jailed in the first place? That makes no sense is what Jude is saying. Not only that, he's saying, don't even listen to these people. Don't, just they, They've got nothing for you. Other than a false teaching that's going to lead you to totally misunderstand grace. Grace is amazing. It is is the ultimate and only hope we have for salvation. But if we've been set free from the stuff that put us in prison, why would we say, oh, now I can just, now I can do all the fun stuff. That's the myth of sin is it's really not fun. Um, It appears fun and it can temporarily be fun. But in the long run, only people get hurt. I mean, I was thinking about this like... I finally got to a point in my life when I was uh, growing up through high school and college and going to parties and hanging out with the cool crowd as it was. And I started to realize parties are overrated in, mm-hmm. in many these drinking parties. Somebody gets drunk and does something embarrassing. Somebody gets in a fight and somebody cries at every <laughs> single one. And so that's what we're like. Can't wait to go to a place where someone's going to cry. Someone's going to fight mm-hmm. and, and someone's going to do something really dumb mm-hmm. and that they'll regret just don't see the upside at a certain point in that and and you know I don't mean to just pick on such a uh, such a well I won't want to say it's inconsequential it matters but it it's i think indicative of how sin hurts mm. and that's why jude and scripture consistently is saying yeah you're saved by grace but that's not a free ticket to just go and and hurt people
2: you were talking on the last question about the danger of being in the spotlight or desiring the spotlight. Mm-hmm. The the word that pops into my mind uh, as we talk about what he's saying here is self absorption. And if, if the focus, of, I can do whatever I want. And if the focus is just what, what's in it for me, uh, it's going to end up robbing us of the fullness of the life that God has for us. And I, I think sometimes when we think of immorality in our world, we, we're quick to just say that's all sexual stuff. But you mentioned greed earlier. I, you, you go back to Ezekiel thirty-four, and the first half of it is about the uh, the bad shepherds in Israel, and aren't shepherds supposed to feed their sheep? But instead, you're hurting them, you're harming them. And then it ends with talk, uh, contrasting that to the good shepherd, which, of course, we we know is Jesus. And mm-hmm. Uh, in contrast to self-absorption, uh, Jesus is self-sacrificing, and he's constantly giving away for the sake of others so that they can have
0: more life. Yeah. Verse 7 of Jude 1, Jude names it. He says it's immorality, which, Scott, as you're saying, could be all sorts of different kinds of immorality. He does highlight sexual perversion. He does say that 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 must be the one that he's upset about. In this particular case, he's saying when, when you live for sex, when you live for money, when you live for things that aren't going to ultimately give you what God can give you, you're just setting yourself up to hurt yourself and other people are going to get hurt along the way too. So, you know, I want to be clear, I am not anti-party, <laughs> I like parties, I like celebrations. I'm talking about the kind of parties where the whole goal is to be there to get completely drunk and, you know, o- over over the top you know someone's wearing a lampshade and and somebody's fighting and somebody's crying that mm. that is the downside and i think jude's pointing in that same kind of direction he's saying you know you think because you have grace you can do anything you want sexually you think because you have grace you can do it, you can live out any other kind of immorality i'm telling you, if you do that jude is saying you're going to get hurt and other people are going to get hurt too and it's just not worth it
1: Uh, What can we learn from Jude about fallen angels and the battle in heaven between Michael and the devil?
0: So in verse 6, I
2: remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave, uh, but left the place where they belonged. And then you skip down to verse 8 through 10. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And look at this. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. So go back and show me where that is in Scripture. It's not. It's in the... Jewish Apocrypha. Jewish Apocrypha. So... um, and again, you go go read Genesis six one time sometime if you want to have mm-hmm. some questions. Like, what are we supposed to <laughs> make of that? Uh, we we see and angels are showing up, supernatural beings are showing up all over the place in the Christmas story. It's one of our mm-hmm. favorite parts of the Christmas story. So uh, let's not scoff at this. Let's not say, no, that's not real. Mm-hmm. It is real. Uh, there is a battle in the. Spiritual realm, and and the scripture writers in the New Testament talk to us about this uh, battle all the time. Not against flesh and blood, but principalities and authorities in the heavenly realm. Like, what am I supposed to make of that? I'm not exactly sure, Mm. but I know there's a God who has conquered all of that already. I don't need to give more power to the work of the devil or evil spirits or demons. than they deserve. I need to be uh, aware, alert, understanding that I'm under attack, my family's under attack, our church is under attack, and um, God is victorious.
1: Yeah.
0: This is one of the places where it's good for us to know what the rest of Scripture says, and Scott, you're pointing right to that. Um, and trying also to make sense of a thing called time and eternity, yeah. which time makes sense to us in a world that we 're used to where there 's a past present, and future in eternity it 's a little less clear what time will be we know it 'll be forever we know that e- e- you know e- eternity or eternal things everlasting things it means really big and without any ending point it ju- it just continues on so that 's really good news because it means when we 're in God's kingdom forever, uh, when, when we, as we pray thy kingdom come, when heaven does finally win, uh, and that becomes our existence when Christ comes again, that there isn't going to be an end to life. And you say, oh, wow, that's going to get boring and I'm going to get old. Well, that's different too. Glorified body, it's still us. We'll still know each other and see each other. But this is all when you take a step back from this verse and then you put it together with like revelation 12 or isaiah 14 where this same kind of thing is alluded to so the angels are fighting they're at war in heaven and you're like hi, what? what what that's what i 100% agree with you what are we supposed to make of all this you had said earlier too aren't aren't we glad that we believe in a god who's bigger than what we can fully grasp that god God goes beyond what our brains can fully take in, our little pea-sized brains relative to eternity. He gives us enough to put our faith and trust in him. But in in the realm of, uh, or, or in context of the rest of scripture, time is this funny thing because when did they have this battle? Well, there's kind of a sense in Revelation 12, it'll be at the end. And yet we know that the serpent, and the serpent is even named here in these texts, As the devil uh, and the dragon, which we are also going to read about in Revelation. So he shows up and he's there in the Garden of Eden. So he's also there before creation starts. So the battle's then and yet it's here and then it's there. And this again is why we shouldn't waste too much energy trying to connect the dots on timelines. Time is a different thing in eternity and when the kingdom comes and it's going to be good and it's going to be better and it's going to, eternities, things are going to last forever. Life will go on forever. We won't be bored. We'll, we'll be thrilled. We thrilled with our glorified bodies too. Uh, That's going to be an upgrade. Uh, Everything's going to be good. The, the part here though, is there's a battle in heaven between good and evil which is also a reminder that in the end, that's what it's going to be. In the beginning, that's what it was. In the end, mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be, and good wins. So, I hate to sound like a broken record, hey Jude, but it does get repeated over and over again. Hey Jude, hey Jude, hey na 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 nah, nah. hey Jude. It, the whole song is Hey Jude. So I think it's ironic that Jude just keeps coming back, kind of like Second and Third John do, like Ezekiel does. Keep the faith in God. Don't lose sight of that. It's so tempting to let it go, to get distracted by all the other things in this world. Don't go there. Keep the faith because good's going to win. Uh, I, I kind of like the idea that Michael just kicked the snots out of the devil and, and he gets booted out of heaven. I, I just love that image. Jesus says to his disciples in the gospels when they come back from a mission trip and they're all excited about it, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven this all fits yeah. together. There, there's stuff here that connects. And the more biblically fluent we are, the more we realize, wow, Scripture's a lot deeper than most people think. And that's good that we have a God who's bigger than, than what we can totally take in. But we can get a glimpse. We can get a, in, as my calculus teacher in college said, Mike, do you at least have an intuitive sense about these things? Even if you don't get it, you can't deduce it yet. Do you at least have an intuitive sense that this all fits together? And I guess that's what I'd ask our podcast listeners. Do you at least have a sense that this is so rich from the prophecies of the Old Testament to the New Testament epistles, the Gospels, and Jesus and his return that it all does come together?
1: Yeah, uh, last question quickly. What are faithful Christians called to do according to Jude in the last times when scoffers cause divisions within the church?
3: We don't have any divisions, do we? It happens in the body of Christ around the world, yes. Yeah. So Jude, um you've got to think about I think about Jude and his his seat, uh Acts chapter one, verse 14, talks about he was in the upper room with Mary and his brothers, and they came to believe. And, you know, he had watched uh, Jesus for 33 years, uh, continued to po- poked, uh, point to uh, his Father in heaven um, and talk about the love. And then he gets to see that demonstrated. He sees the life of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, walk on this earth, heal those uh, that were sick, um, lift up uh, groups of people who were detached from society, or at least barriers were put so that they wouldn't have access to uh, a community and Jude is lifting up uh, this to this body of body of Christ um, and saying i've watched the life of my brother of God the Messiah in jesus i've seen him love really really well so." instead of being self-absorbed in thinking that you have it all figured out or that you know it all, uh, you don't. No. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I know somebody who does, and I want to point you to him and his mm-hmm. life. And um, he ultimately took on your sin and your death so that you might have life. And the cross is that reminder for all of us that his blood and his body were poured out and broken so that we might love uh, in a way that is selfless. Uh, that is filled with abilities to speak truth. So so Jude is going to continue to remind those that are part of this um, church body that we are to walk. He writes this in, in verses 20. Dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we all have moments where our faith and life intersects Uh, into some challenging times, like how do we move in these moments? Well, we have this special gift that Jesus said that as he was going to ascend, that the Holy Spirit was going to descend so that we might have power. And so church, don't allow for the divisions to continue, (laughs) uh, but call on the Holy Spirit, the power of God, to help you in making decisions and living out in such a humble way that people will take notice and you will be able to share the truth that is found in Jesus Christ because what he's offered for you and for the rest of the, the world. So, Ju- Jude is is simply just putting us in a place where he's reminding us of what we have access to, what was modeled for us, and so go and do.
2: Recenter yeah. ourselves on Jesus over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we're called to do, and this this is the repeated theme throughout all these readings. Don't play the world's games. Don't grumble. This is like quoting Jude toward the end. And Pat, you just you just read part of that. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Uh, don't claim your joy and your peace that comes from God. Don't brag loudly about yourselves. Stay humble. Understand that it's God who does these things. Don't flatter, which is lying to other people about who they are in order to try to get something out of them. Stop playing games and not just don't be a part of the divisions, but not just don't get divided. Don't you dare be a part of creating divisions within the body of Christ, which is just a stark reminder uh, to to all of us. It is so tempting and it is it's almost trendy and cool these days to talk about, you know, who we're against and, and what we're for and what's wrong with the body of Christ oh, there's plenty wrong with the body of Christ. There's plenty wrong with our church. There's plenty wrong with every person who comes to this church and every person who pastors this church, starting with me. But dividing the body of Christ and being a part of creating that division, (laughs) there's some pretty harsh warnings about that here. And that is anti-Christ. That is against what Christ would have us do. That doesn't mean there isn't a time for correction, speaking truth and love, doing things in a way that is helpful to the body to move us forward. But there's 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 a right way to do that speaking truth and love there's a wrong way to do that which is you know slithering around behind the scenes and sowing seeds of division and with gossip and 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 whatever else might happen and lead to this and i've seen this happen way too many times um you know i'm not a young pastor anymore and i continue to to hear about my friends who are pastors or people in other churches that talk about what once was, and then their church completely fell apart. And if you get down to the root of it, it's the same stuff Jude's saying don't do. Don't go there. Be a part of uh, encouraging, lift people, lift people up. Grumbling and complaining, that's so easy. Gosh, and that's hard. That's a challenging one for me too, because it's just our human nature. Grumble, complain, that's what we like to do. And, and it's a coping mechanism on a certain level. But when that becomes our main thing, our modus operandi, the, the way we live, the, the way we, we pursue being church together, it doesn't end as well and it doesn't take us where we, we think it's going to take us. So, as Jude says at the end, all glory to God, who alone is our God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the presence and present and beyond all time. Amen. That's not a bad place to end. So, Emily, thanks for keeping us on point. Uh, We tried to cover this and we did it in under an hour, which is a small miracle. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, we love you. God loves you more. We'll see you at church this weekend and it'll be book of revelation next week. So tell your friends, spread the word. Uh, God's word is for us and it changes everything.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.